Welcome to the Lightshine Church Podcast. I'm Rob Douglas, the organizing pastor of Lightshine Church, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our weekly message. Thank you for that word, Shay, as usual. This morning we're going to be reading one of the most read, most quoted passages in all of Scripture. You may have figured it out by now based on the theme that we've started from the beginning, from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a chapter that is all about the centrality of love. Years ago, I was taught by a wise public speaker that a preacher should always be honest about their their inner condition uh, while preaching. So my confession at the start of this message is that I wrote this sermon, what I'm calling WWA, Writing While Angry. The truth is, I'm still a little bit angry and a little bit frustrated, um, and that's important for us to know as we move forward. I'm actually going to return to this anger that I'm talking about and share a personal story about it and how it relates to um, our text today. First, I'm going to share a few words on the context um, and the meaning of our passage. And then I'm going to move into this personal story that speaks on just how difficult the biblical call to love really is. And then today we're going to finish with the reading of the Word of God and then give it some space to do its work under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. God, our helper, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds. Lead us into your truth that we might better open up our hearts and our hands for the sake of your mission in the world. Amen. Well, most of us will recognize the beautiful poetry that is 1 Corinthians 13 based on the fact that we've been to a few weddings in our day. If you've ever been to a wedding, then you've probably heard this passage before. Associating this text with weddings presents us with both challenges and opportunities. The challenge, I hope, would be obvious. Love must be rescued from being sentimental and romantically held captive. The context of our passage is extremely important. Paul wrote these words to a very divided Corinthian community. They divided over just about anything and everything they could. The Corinthian church was an extremely diverse group of people. There were young and old, married and single, male and female, wealthy and poor, a a few Jews and many Gentiles. Um, And just like it does today, diversity in the Corinthian church created both benefits and challenges. Unfortunately for the Corinthians, they became fragmented. That is, they did not see their differences as enriching the community, but rather they saw their differences as a problem. And yet Paul will constantly remain firm that diversity in the church is non-negotiable. 
My question was, does any of this sound at all familiar today? It made me think about the protests over the wearing of masks that highlight just how divided we are. There I am in my mask in my office. I got to thinking about this mask quite a bit this week. This potentially life-saving face covering, all it is, has become a symbol of division and a partisan political tool. My daughters, even like most people, have been choosing to wear their masks in public spaces. And a few of their friends have actually taken to mocking them for wearing them. Masks are dividing my daughter's friendship circle that's been together since the sixth grade. This little friendship group is just a microcosm of what's playing out on a macro level in this country. The Apostle Paul does not insert 1 Corinthians 13 into his letter to affirm them for a love that was already present. Rather, he inserted it because it was missing love. And love was the thing that was needed more than anything if these divided Corinthians were going to survive the messy divisions of their fractured community. Likewise today, love is what is needed the most to bring a divided people back together. Because love places the well-being of the other ahead of ourselves. Like Shay said perfectly, love is a call to action that will push us well beyond how we feel. We all know and can admit that we do not always feel like loving. Love will invite us into the game as participants. Love will call us to seek out and strive for the very best for others, no matter who those others might be. It will call us to seek out and strive and pursue something that is very, very difficult to do. And if love is really the thing that's in the driver's seat, then love will find a way. Now, the setup for chapter 13 happens in a phrase in the last line of chapter 12. Paul wants the Corinthians to choose or to pursue what he calls a more excellent way. The Greek means beyond measuring. This was a good word for a group of people that were obsessed with measuring themselves against each other and then dividing over it. And it will serve as a good word for us today. Paul desperately wants to move us toward this more excellent way. So what is it? What is the thing that is beyond all measuring? What is the more excellent way? Love is that thing. Love is the shape of a life that has been set free of competition, set free of game playing, set free of who's in and who's out. Chad shared with us last week that this will require from us a radical inclusion 
from all of us who would follow after this more excellent way of Jesus. Because without love, none of what we're doing, like Shay said, really even matters. Love in this chapter is actually the subject of 16 verbs in a row. So it's clearly action-oriented. It's never passive. It's always moving. Love is busy. It doesn't cease to work. It always finds a way to express itself for the good of others. So why is this such a good word for a people divided? There was a professor that I was reading, Caroline Lewis, who gave the best summary of an answer to this question that I've seen that I want to read to you. Her answer is that unity in the tension of our differences can only be acknowledged, respected, and celebrated when love is at the very center of who we are and what we do. It's love that enables individuals to imagine life in community where unity and differences can coexist. Without love, we know that they can't. So love may be that missing ingredient today as it was back in the first century divided Corinthian church. I had just finished my morning coffee when I came across a news story that a friend of mine sent me that set me off like a ticking time bomb. And it was a story that most of us are probably now very familiar with, the story of a 25-year-old black man named Ahmad Arbery who was out for a jog when two white men, father and son, saw him in their predominantly white Georgia neighborhood and went to get their guns. Then proceeding to hunt Ahmad down in broad daylight, captured on video, confronted, shot, and killed him. And after I watched that video, the first thing that happened is I felt sick to my stomach. I wished that I hadn't seen it. I was literally in shock. And then the shock turned more into anger when I learned that the two angry, white, racist men had not even been charged with a crime. Now, I admit that my level of frustration over the divisions in our own society had already been simmering a little bit below the surface. What this story did to me was it literally pushed me over the edge. I had some unpastor-like things to say about this scenario, which I hope I get some grace on that one. <laughs> I vented to Katie. I got out my pent-up frustrations about the direction that we seem to be headed. And then I could hear the words of a friend of mine, actually the friend of mine who I saw the story from in the first place. He's an Anglican priest, John Ziegler, and at the end of his message, he said, in the name of Jesus, stop. I stopped. I walked into my office. I sat down, and my task was to write this sermon. <laughs> and for about two hours, I was unable to do it, or better, unfit for the work. 
a sermon on the centrality of love. And in those moments, I had to clearly admit that I didn't feel any love at all. Nor in those moments did I feel as if I had any love to give. So there's an incredible tension that's created in this passage. It's our choice what we do with it. We can do what a lot of people do with it. We can ignore the tension. We can just stick to the beautiful poetry of Paul's words. We can continue to choose to sentimentalize the word love, romanticize it. Or we can acknowledge that pursuing this kind of love is going to be extremely difficult. We are to pursue love. We are to pursue this thing that is said to be beyond measuring. A love that is said to be God's more excellent way. Paul didn't tell us it was going to be easy. In fact, Jesus never said it was going to be easy. In fact, Paul knew exactly how difficult this kind of love would be, and yet he asks for it anyway. Why? Because this kind of love can change the world. Paul knew that. But I had to ask myself some difficult questions this week. Really honest, painful questions. Could a love that can transform and change the world even penetrate my own angry heart? Would this more excellent way be able to find expression in my own life? And so even for people that I strongly disagree with or frankly don't really care for, Paul says that faith, hope, and love are the three things that abide, but he clearly says at the end, the greatest of these is love. I got to thinking, why is love so great? Here's what scripture says. Faith will someday become sight. Hope will one day find its fulfillment. But love will remain. It never ends. The literal translation there is that love does not fall. Love remains because God's love never falls. It never fails. And so we're drawn into this unfailing love. We're remade by it. This is the love of God that first loves us. And so we're being invited to pursue love, not to love perfectly. There is only one who loves perfectly. This is good news for me, and I hope that it's good news for you. To compare ourselves to Christ's perfect love would be this burden that, frankly, is probably just too great to carry. In my imperfect ability to love, I'm reminded that God knows me fully, everything about me, including the anger that was and maybe even currently still is in my heart over the injustice of the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. God knows those things about me, and yet God still loves me anyway. 
And it's that love which gives me hope. Let's read one of the most eloquent passages in all our scriptures and then listen for what it is that the Spirit might speak to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part, but when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide these three, and the greatest of these is love. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we're in awe of your perfect love for an imperfect people. You challenge us to pursue love with all people and in all situations. In that pursuit, we ask for your help. If love could work to unite a divided Corinthian church, may it also do the same for us today. The choice is ours, God, so give us the courage to choose to pursue your more excellent way.